Good morning. My name is Adam Casel. I'm the vision and administration pastor here on staff. As a reminder, uh, for those of you who, who call Indie Vineyard home or um, for those of you who are, are checking us out, our mission statement is to encounter the love and power of God and give it away to the world. Um, we've got ways for, for you to get information about what's going on. There's a couple of cards in front of you. You can scan those those QR codes uh, with your phone, or we've got also four posters out in the lobby. Uh, those posters let you know what's, what uh, ministries are meeting this week, um, a, the list of all the ministries that we have, list of small groups, and also we have a, um, a deacon board who want to serve you and are also looking for people to serve with them. So if any of those things are of interest to you, I encourage you to go to the lobby after the service and scan those respective posters. In 2015, when we were living in Cincinnati, there was a, a church pretty close to us that had an associate pastor opening. And so I applied for that uh, position. Um, the name of the church is Kenwood Baptist. It's a general Baptist church. If that means anything to you, if not, no big deal. Uh, so while I was going through that interview process, you know, it's, it's a good idea to also interview your prospective employer. So we decided on Sunday mornings we were going to attend that church. And let me just say, nobody would confuse Kenwood Baptist with a vineyard church. Great people. But the, the way everybody dressed, more traditional. The, the pastor was a great guy. Always wore a button-down shirt and a tie. Would often wear a, a suit jacket. They had some incredibly gifted musicians like we do here, but very different style, often have kind of almost like a symphony arrangement. They did something with worship music I've never experienced before or since. They took contemporary songs, I'm talking songs like two years old at the most, and made them sound really old. I don't know how they did it. I, I'm still, I'm flabbergasted. I mean, I've seen the opposite. Worship pastors take older songs and make them sound more contemporary. That was the only time I've had that experience. On a much more positive note, another thing that we noticed, that Carrie and I noticed when we would attend there was the presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it, we could really, like, tangibly feel the presence of the Holy Spirit very similar to what we have experienced at this vineyard and, and other vineyards. And in fact, I think it was the first Sunday we were there. Uh, they were either doing a series on the Holy Spirit or going through Acts, but the pastor was talking about Acts 2, first, the first Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples. And he was, he was talking about this idea, the, the rushing wind that Luke describes. And he told the story about how years before he was ministering with, with another pastor or campus minister to college students. And they were, I think it was on the Holy Spirit. He said they were inside. And all of a sudden, as he's speaking, this wind is just blowing behind him. He said that there was no fan. There was, nothing, there was no natural uh, explanation for why this was happening. And so, um, you know, e each week, as Carrie and I went there during, during this process, just noticed the presence of the Holy Spirit, and I thought for sure this means God has like that place for me. Obviously, it didn't work out, and I have no idea why that. Ha Actually, I've got a few ideas why that happened. I'll come back to that later. 
but it was totally unexpected. It was not a, a denomination known like, like the vineyard for uh, pursuing all the fullness of the Holy Spirit in the various ways that he manifests, yet we experience that. This morning, we're going to look at a person who's really challenged me personally as I read his story in the Bible about how I understand God working with and through us. As a reminder, when we read about Bible characters, as we understand what God desires for us, right, it's kind of up to us as the reader to decide, were they walking in obedience to God, or is this revealing one of their flaws? This person we're going to look at, in a lot of ways, is not a noble character. I would argue he's got two really good qualities. He's shrewd. I mean that both positively and negatively. And he has chutzpah. And I'll come back to that. If you haven't figured it out by now, I'm talking about Jacob. His name means heel grabber or deceiver, and, th- and he lived up to his name. Jacob was a poser. He was self-centered. He was always looking out for number one. So if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Genesis 28. We have Bibles up here on the subwoofers if you would like uh, to have a, a physical Bible to hold. As you're turning there, let me give a little high-level high uh, context. So the last message um, in Genesis was from Genesis 18. That was the, the story about these angels appearing to Abraham, telling him, hey, this, this time next year, you're going to have a son. Well, God fulfilled that promise. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac marries a woman named Rebekah, who also happens to have difficulty conceiving a child. And so uh, Isaac and Rebekah, they pray. God hears their prayers, gives, um, gives Rebekah the ability to conceive, and she has twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau is the firstborn, and he's a man's man. He's big, he's hairy, he loves to hunt, and Isaac favors him. Rebekah favors Jacob. If you don't know much about family dynamics, that's really healthy. Have one parent favor one child and another favor the other. Rebekah and Jacob scheme together to find a way to trick Isaac so that Jacob could get the blessing of the firstborn. Now, you you perhaps heard the firstborn at that time would get either all of or like two-thirds of the inheritance from his father. So they they wanted, uh, Rebecca and and Jacob together wanted Jacob to get that, that blessing. And so as the younger son... What we see reading uh, Jacob's story story is that he had a scarcity mindset. So because Jacob is able to trick his dad and and get the blessing of the firstborn, uh, Esau is furious. I don't know why. Probably has to do with Jacob stealing this blessing. So Jacob is on the lamb. He's a man on the run, like that wing song. Oh, no, that's band on the run. Um, those 50 and older know what I've got the joke. All right, so let's look at this morning's passage, Genesis 28, 10 to 19. 
Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a stairway set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for this part of your story and how you worked with Jacob. And we trust that you have something for us this morning. And so would you open our hearts and our minds to receive, uh, receive that gift from you. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, the, the big idea that I want you to take away is that Yahweh is a God who shows up in unexpected places. Yahweh is a God who shows up in unexpected places. As we read through Genesis, a lot of Genesis is actually redefining our understanding of God. For the original uh, recipients of Genesis, they were influenced and impacted by the culture around them. Uh, the, the pagan worship and the polytheism, the, the many gods that they would have worshipped. And so they, in a, in a good way, God is, is deconstructing and reconstructing their understanding of who God is. To say, you think God or the gods is like this? He's actually like this. This is how he is. This is who he is. What we see as we read through Genesis is that Yahweh is not limited to one location. He's the God over everything, as the story reveals. So their understanding of, of a God was limited to a location or to a part of creation, like the water. This is the God of water or the God of fertility or what have you. Various gods over various parts of life. So what we first see with this idea that Yahweh is a God who shows up in unexpected places is that there are unexpected temples. From verses uh, 10 to 15, Jacob is in the wilderness. As I said, he's on the run. He's heading from where his family was settled back to where his grandfather was from. 
as Jason Varner spoke about a few weeks ago, that oftentimes God leads us into the wilderness to grow us. This is not a punishment. Often for, for us, if we get led into the wilderness, that's not a punishment. It's an opportunity to refine us and to help us to encounter God in a new way. What was being redefined and, and deconstructed for Jacob was that he could meet God in the wilderness while on the run. It's the reality that this is a God we don't have to search for, but who's searching for us. Now, Jacob does some things that may seem a little unique to us, but he knew what was going on. I, I've heard this quote that, that stuck with me. If you know what's happening, you know what to do. Jacob knew what was happening, so he knew what to do. In his dream, he sees this stairway or ramp or ladder, depending on your translation, with angels uh, going to heaven, from earth to heaven, and angels going up and down on it. How many of you are thinking about this song right now? Stairway to heaven. This is how temples at that time were constructed. There were stairways or ramps from the ground up, up to the building, to the place of worship, because they believed that's how the God would come down to earth. So Jacob is, is looking at this, this ramp. He knew what it represented. And then all of a sudden, God is next to him. He's looking up at this ramp, and he turns around, and God's right next to him. Reminds me of the scene in the office when they're at that Dave and Buster's type place, and Angela sneaks up behind Dwight. That's why I imagine Jacob doing, looking up, and, oh, geez. His expectation is that God would be at the top. Some translations have that, but I think this idea, the fact that God is beside him is much more accurate. For Jacob, this isn't just a place where he meets God, but, but God has a purpose. God is reiterating the promises to Abraham and Isaac around offspring and the land. This is a blessing that's going to benefit the whole world. The best part of this blessing, though, is not the land. It's not innumerable descendants. It's not that they're going to benefit the whole world. It's that God is with Jacob. Oftentimes, when God is with us, others see it. Because later on, God multiplies Jacob's work ethics, work effort, efforts, and people realize that God is with him, and they get envious. God's withness provokes favor with people, and people want to be around that. How often we hear about God moving powerfully through somebody, and we want to be around that person or around that place. It also, though, can cause people to be envious. God is with Jacob because God wants to be with Jacob. He's with you and me because he wants to be with you and me. I'm going to come back to that. So, again, this should be pretty profound. God's saying, I'm with you. 
Remember, this guy's a conniver. He's alienated himself from his family. He has nothing to his name at this point. He's not searching for God. He's not, it's not like David, when David was on the run, crying out, God, where are you? God, deliver me. Jacob's thinking about himself. I got to get to Haran fast. And yet, in the midst of that, God appears to him, gives us astounding promise. Again, innumerable offspring, land beyond what you can see, and you're going to benefit the whole world. Even with all of this, if you notice, Jacob makes his allegiance to God conditional. The Lord appears to Jacob, says who he is, makes these promises, and Jacob essentially says, well, if God brings me back, if he stays with me, gives me what I need, brings me back home, then he'll be my God. I got to give him credit. He's being honest. How... How often, though, as I reflect for myself, do I do this? How many times have I said, if God does this, then this is how I'll respond? It's caused me to think about what am I withholding from God? How many times have I done something like Jacob? So again, God was with him and protected him. I think we've established it's not because Jacob was a, gr- a great man. As we read through the story of God working with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, why did he pick this family? That's what I said earlier. They had chutzpah. They had boldness. Jacob was standing in a holy place, and it took a dream for him to realize it. He realizes that this is a place where heaven is open. It's an amazing revelation of God's character and what he thought about Jacob that happened in this place. Jacob's starting to learn Yahweh is a God who shows up in unexpected places. Now, to Jacob's credit, once he realizes that Yahweh is a God who shows up in unexpected places— He responds correctly, and he commemorates the temple, verses 16 to 19. The first words he speaks when he wakes up is, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. It's easy for us to go through life and not realize we're on holy ground. It's a common theme throughout the Bible, and I think for many of us as we reflect on our lives, realize how we went through a holy place and didn't even realize God was there. God is in this place and I didn't know it. God was at Kenwood Baptist in a way that I was not expecting. On Mother's Day 1980 in Yorba Linda, California, God was in the place in the way the people were not expecting. So when Lonnie Frisbee stood up and, and prayed, come Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came and radically change that church. Some people recognize, I know somebody personally who was there, she was furious about what had happened. Later on, she realized God was in the place, in that place. The first Pentecost, after the resurrection, 120 followers of Jesus, waiting on what Jesus promised while full of fear, God showed up in that place. 
and they didn't, they weren't expecting it. I have several friends, I'm sure many of you here and those who have been a part of this church at some point have, and countless others around the world have surrendered their lives to the Lord when they weren't even searching for him. Because God was in the place where they were and they, they didn't realize it. Those are our Bethel moments. It's interesting. The text says that he's afraid. He's already in a state of fear. He's fearing for his life because his brother wants to kill him. And this awe of God is even greater. He's realizing, I swindled my brother and I'm running to safety. If I try to swindle this God, I can't get away. In spite of this encounter, it actually didn't change Jacob at that time. As the story continues, he does more of the same things, deceiving people. It's not until he wrestles with God that he moves into this place of surrender, probably 20 years later. Jacqueline, a few weeks ago, when she talked about the four stages of, of transformation, surrender is the final stage. Jacob's not there yet. It's going to take him about 20 years. He acknowledges that this place is a temple. So he sets up a stone that he used for a pillow. How's that comfortable? Pours oil on it and renames this place. He does what he knows to commemorate a temple. He calls it a, a, the gate of heaven. This is other people, as they walk by and they see this stone, they'll know, oh, somebody had an encounter with God here. This is a gate of heaven. This is a place where heaven is open. The Bible shows us that heaven and earth are much closer than we realize. Yahweh is altogether separate from creation and unlike other gods that people uh, throughout history have worshipped, and yet he's a God who's intimately involved with his creation. So, Jacob meets Yahweh in an unexpected place, and he commemorates that with a temple celebration. The final part that we're going to look at this morning is that there's a connection between Jesus and the temple and what it means for us. One of the more scandalous claims that Jesus made while walking the earth was, destroy this temple— and then three days later, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise it. I'm going to rebuild it. He was talking about his body, but the religious leaders uh, and people knew that this is a place where God's presence is. Like the audacity of, of one man to say, you're, you're going to destroy a temple and, and build, rebuild it when it took Solomon 40 years. But what, the gospel, what Jesus is saying that the gospel writers record is that we meet with God in Jesus. That's incredibly exclusive. Jesus references this story when he meets Nathanael. Uh, in John 1.51, Jesus said to Nathanael, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is an overt reference to this story. Jesus knew what he was doing. He's, 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 telling, he's telling Nathaniel, like, 
you're amazed that I saw you at a point in time sitting under a tree? Oh, you haven't seen anything yet. You're going to see an open heaven where, with unparalleled revelation of who God is. It's going to happen over the next few years. For us, friends, it's the reminder that God is with us. If we trust Jesus as our Savior, give him our allegiance as king, then God's with us and we're with God. The best part of the blessing to Jacob and the best part of life in Christ for us is that God is with us and we are with God. This past week, we uh, had a family reunion with my dad's side out in Idaho. It was great. great. Great people, great food, great experiences, lots of laughs, lots of stories. The best part, God was with us. Not in any sort of earth-shattering or, or life-changing way, but it's the reality that at all times and all places, God is with us. Coming home... Our flight was delayed in Minneapolis, and then it was canceled. We had to scramble to get another flight, which we fortunately did. The best part, God was with us. Because it's amazing spending six hours in an airport. So is the fact that God is with us, and my dad flies a lot, is that why we were able to get some of the last remaining seats? Maybe. But even if we didn't, God was with us. Sometimes, God with us looks like everything going our way. Everything's just falling into place. It couldn't be easier. And sometimes, God with us looks like a challenge. Every single way that we turn, every step that we take, it's a challenge. I guess I'm not supposed to go that way. Oh, oh where am I? I'm in a box. Going back to my experience with Kenwood Baptist, why did I go through that? I think a number of reasons. One was the reminder that God's temple is where God's people are. The presence of God is not limited to our theology. Also, I couldn't villainize them for not choosing me or say, well, they aren't spirit-filled anyway. God isn't moving there. Why would I want to be there? Because he was. He was moving. There were people filled with the Spirit. I needed the, the reminder that God is moving in a variety of ways and places, even if it doesn't fit my preferred style. I think this also encourages, to keep, encourages us to keep our eyes open for heaven to come to earth. Jesus told us, to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a, a sweet couple that we got to know uh, named Harold and, and Donna. They, they lead a ministry called Open Heaven Ministries. I love that name. It, just, it shows their expectation that heaven is open and God is moving. So we live under an open heaven because of what Jesus did for us. These what I'm calling Bethel moments, like Jacob, that I'm sure as we reflect on our own lives, times that we've had encounters with God, maybe when we didn't expect it, they can happen at unexpected times 
and places because God is near. When we've been praying for something to happen and it does, that's a Bethel moment. When we're contemplating an idea for some time and all of a sudden understanding or, or a new connection happens, that's a Bethel moment. When we receive something without asking or before we realize that we need it, that's a Bethel moment. What I hope we take away in kind of practical outworking in our lives is to stir up within us hopeful expectation. That at any moment of any day, we could see times, places, or situations where heaven comes to earth. So where in your life is a place, meaning a relationship, a time, maybe that's a season or, or a regular time throughout your work or an aspect of your life where it's most difficult to see God. Ask, you, ask him to show you where he is. Ask him to show you. And don't stop asking until he does. It may happen right away. It may take some time. But he is there and he will show himself. I love having our youth pastor, Nick Kane on staff for several reasons. One of which, though, is every week, every single week, he comes to staff meeting and he's got a testimony to share because he's looking for it. He's looking for God to move. John and Nancy Rigstad, their group has many testimonies every single week because as a group, they're looking for God. They're expecting God to show up and to move powerfully, and they encourage one another with what they've been seeing. That's hopeful expectation. Personally, I'm in a process of looking at a lot of things in my life to see where the Lord is leading for some changes. Nothing drastic, just my daily routine. I love routine. But yet, I can get in a rut and just kind of coast through day after day, not have kind of this hopeful expectation of God showing up. We have uh, some friends who, who started a company. It's called Parative Project. Um, if you want to look it up, P-A-R-A-T-I-V-E. That's a made-up word. He thought it meant something else. He didn't realize until afterwards he, he made up a word. But they make, what they do is they, they make several things, one of which is, uh, and they, they employ women um, from India who have come out of human trafficking. So they provide a fair wage for them and... Um, and teach them a skill. But they sell flags, and, and one of them that uh, has just stuck with me, it says, nothing changes if nothing changes. I, I looked that up. I don't, I don't know if, where they got that from. I couldn't, couldn't find anything. But the reminder, right, if we want to see change in our lives, we've got to change something. Because what we've done has kind of brought us to this point. If we want to see anything different, We've got to change what we're doing. For me, over this, this week away, I realized that stillness and rest for me causes stress. But that's when I can hear God. I can hear God in the midst of that. Carrie realized movement 
and other external factors, that causes her stress, and she hears God in the midst of that. There's, because there's something about being uncomfortable, hence the wilderness, that opens us up to hearing God. Uh, for years, when we were at Evanston Vineyard, Steve Nicholson would, would talk about, and this was before smartphones, uh, how the bathroom was the place where people most heard God because they had no other distractions. Now our phones distract us. But uh, there's something about being uncomfortable. You sit in silence. That makes you uncomfortable. Hopeful expectation opens us up to Bethel-like moments. So again, as, as God's people, we're under an open heaven. We can encounter God at any time. That's the mission of, the church, of, of this church, to encounter God's love and power and give it away to the world. Our privilege and birthright as children of God is to be able to encounter him and live from a place of hopeful expectation. So how might you respond to that today? How might you respond to the idea of living with hopeful expectation? As we conclude, again, we saw that Yahweh is a God who shows up in unexpected places. Jacob came to an unexpected temple. He knew what to do when he realized he was at a temple, so he commemorated it. And then this temple experience and the later temple of Israel pointed to Jesus as the place where people meet God and, and receive revelation about who God is. And so if something is stirring within you this morning, we want to give an opportunity uh, to respond. So, Michelle, if you would, wouldn't mind coming up. And ministry team, any uh, ministry team members who are here, if you guys would come forward as well. Actually, why don't we all stand? So a couple of, a couple other questions. To really, just initially reflect on it, and then you can have an you'll have an opportunity to come forward and to receive prayer from any of our, our teams. They would love to pray with and for you. But where do you need right now hopeful expectation? Where in your life do you need to see an open heaven? Maybe it's a, a relationship, a situation in life that you need to see God move. Where, where do you need to see his, his presence got a couple of uh, words to share, but um, the, the first one was maybe this morning um, there are some who are struggling with sexual impurity of some form, um, and so that's an area of your life that you need hopeful expectation. You need to see God move. I know it's a 
hard thing to share with somebody else, but um, really a lot of times experiencing freedom is, is sharing that and having somebody pray with and for us. Another um, that might resonate for some is the idea of there's an invitation to tend the garden. Because for some of us, there might be a root of, of resentment or bitterness that's like a weed that's grow, that's starting to grow. And so now it's going to be a lot easier to pull out while it's young and its roots aren't very deep. So if that resonates, I invite you to, to come forward. And then John Copeland has a, has a word to share. And it, uh, before he does, just a reminder, every week we have a prophetic discerner who sits over here. Um, so if you feel like God's saying something to you during, during worship or at any time during the service, come uh, share with them and they'll discern with you whether that's um, for for just for you, for the whole church, and, and when, and then give it an opportunity for you to share that. Uh, good morning. Uh, this morning during uh, worship, um, I got a, just some words um, for just to encourage some people that are maybe going through anxiety, uh, depression, self-doubt. Um, and the, the passage I received was Psalm 3, verses 3 through 5. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. And I think that verse, the verse 5, is when you lay down and sleep and you wake again because the Lord sustains me. Just take that to heart. You know, If you're going through any type of anxiety, depression, or self-doubt, or anything that's not of the Lord, take it to him and he will sustain you. That's an encouraging. Thanks, John. So if any of that resonates with you, I invite you to come forward. There, there's nothing magical about being up here, but I think there is something, it's a, um, it's a demonstration of our faith that we're trusting God, um, that what we heard, uh, he, he's gonna move. And so, Again, I just invite you to come forward. If you have any other physical, spiritual, emotional um, things that we can be praying with you about, um, I invite you to, to come forward. If we have any other ministry team folks, uh, please come up so we've got plenty of teams available. You're welcome just to sit. Michelle will keep, keep playing in our ministry teams will be available. welcome to sit for for a moment if you want or if you need to go pick up your kids from children's ministry or, or head out go in peace to love and serve the Lord have a great week